Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. And boy, do we have a big film to talk about on this week's show. First of all, from the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni. I'm the film editor for theyoungfolks.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a news and entertainment writer at Collider. It's Will Ashton, God of Wonder. Oh, wow. That's a very flattering intro for me this time. Yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't been nice to you in a while, so I guess... That's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a special guest to talk about Thor with us. Now, Brian Young is a writer, a filmmaker, journalist, storyteller, literally does so many things. I don't even know how to condense it. Um, let's see. Okay, does the podcast Full of Sith podcast... Uh, has been a regular contributor for StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider Magazine, Slash Film. Uh, I think, uh, Brian, you were the founder of Big Shiny Robot, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, started that website to start talking about Star Wars because at the time when I was writing for Huffington Post, they weren't that interested in it. And I was like, well, I need somewhere to do it. <laughs> there you go. And uh, Brian, welcome to the welcome to Cinema Hawks for the first time. So glad to have you here. So honored to have you on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it, it, I'm sure trust it'll be my pleasure more than yours. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I've always wanted to have you want to talk about a Star Wars thing. The thing is, there haven't been that there hasn't been that much Star Wars content in the movie scene lately. Uh, Rise of Skywalker was the last thing, and then uh, you know before that, I think we had what Rogue One, Star uh, Solo, a bunch of other stuff like that. But it's been a while. We've been mainly getting the Star Wars TV shows, right? So, is there yeah. anything you want to plug in that vein uh, regarding Star Wars or anything else? Uh, I mean, like uh, if you like how I talk about anything like this uh, or Marvel movies, be sure to check out my Star Wars podcast, Full of Sith, and we're talking about everything star wars so the books the comics the movies the tv shows so if you're really diving into star wars that podcast is the right place for it but you mentioned slash film which is where i write about film in general and cover the star wars beat and uh novelist as well i've got a book coming out this month actually in the BattleTech universe and i've got some stuff uh in the big bang theory tv show uh universe coming out in september wow that's awesome i heard i'm that's amazing to hear. Hope it goes super, super well. Uh, I know you've done that Robotech stuff, right? The uh, the role-playing game? Yeah, actually, the next volume of that uh, that covers the um, the Southern Cross is coming out this year as well. And, and I, I wrote a whole bunch of fiction for the, the role-playing game and all, all, all the scenarios and things like that for for the the first season, the Macross Saga, and this new one that, that's coming out this year. So all the techs. I get all the, the battle tech <laughs> and the Robotech. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of tech in Thor: Love and Thunder, I guess. I, I guess it's more like god mythical stuff. Before we, we get rolling on that movie, we, we need a little bit of a, a palate cleanser, right? We need some context, I think, and we also need a little chance for the listeners to get to know Brian a bit. So, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna have a little bit of a let's let's check in on the state of Marvel. Let's do that. Brian, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's been going on since Iron Man in 2008. Uh, I forget how many films we're at at this point. 20-something. Uh, it's in the it's upper 20s, I want to say. 29, I think, right? We're almost at 30? Oh, Mazel yeah. tov. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're almost there. And uh, there have been so many movies. There have been so many shows. So, Brian, where do, where do you stand on, the, the, let's say, the MCU in general? And then I also want to talk about the Phase 4, because I can get even more specific, I guess. So I've been on board with the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a long time it's weird having watched them grow up with my kids um iron man that first one was the first midnight showing i took um my son to 
and he was, I don't know, maybe five or six and now he's, he's 20. So it's, it's, um, I don't know, however that age range works when, when Iron Man came out, but, um, so it's been really interesting to watch it through my eyes as a comic fan. I mean, I used to own a comic book store for, for many years and was up to date on everything. And, and I'm not so much anymore. Um, but watching it through my eyes as an old school comics fan and through his eyes as sort of a newer, like, this is my Marvel sort of um, fandom. Uh, it's been really interesting. There's definitely been some, some misfires here or there or movies that I like less than others. Um, but Overall, I've really been enjoying it. I've been taking my my seven-year-old daughter through it recently because she really wants to start watching the movies in the theaters. Um, and we just we actually just finished Infinity War yesterday and uh, started Endgame. Uh, so that's where she's at there. And so I've really been enjoying it. Going into Phase 4, I'll be honest, I think some of the stuff in Phase 4 is some of my favorite, and it's because everything feels like a comic. Um, and I know that that doesn't work for a lot of viewers, but it seems to work pretty uniquely for me in that all of these crossovers and these ties of, of different bits of lore is the sort of stuff I got excited reading comics about, if that makes sense, where mm. I could say, oh, it's that book, or oh, of course it's Agatha Harkness, or uh, things like that, and like, wait, this is the Darkhold, and, and then be able to I don't know. I just really love talking about stuff like that. So um, being that that sort of Marvel nerd as well from the comics to, to talk to everybody around me has created a really great cinematic experience because people will be like, wait, I missed this. Or like, wait, the goats have names? And I'm just like, of course they do. They're the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't you yeah, read the like credits? <laughs> what, what's, yeah. what, you mentioned, though, Phase 4, some of it's been your favorite. What, what is, like, leading into Thor, like, when you were going in, what was your favorite Phase 4 movie or show up until that point? Um, you know, WandaVision really has been, like, a cut above. Um, I really enjoyed Loki. Um, Loki, I don't know, Loki was weird because they shot so much of it in, in Atlanta in, like, Dragon Con venues, so that was weird, but that was fun. Oh, so you um, recognized, like, everything? Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was weird. Um, and then I've really enjoyed... Like, I really liked Sam Raimi's take on Multiverse of Madness. I would have been really interested in, in Cargill and Derrickson's take on it. Mm. Um, but I liked Raimi's version of it. And the the Spider-Man movie worked really... Like, Tom Holland just works really well for me. Like, I don't have any real complaints. Tom Holland's movie was just great because I got more Tobey Maguire. <laughs> uh, well, I know you, you just did, like, your own, like, ranking of all the Marvels on your letterbox. I guess we can uh, plug that for you, right? Or do you don't want to uh, plug that? You don't want the heat? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have a nice, pleasant Monday, personally. But, you know, okay. I mean, it's out there. I can't stop the the public conversation for it. I just don't get why Eternals is your number one, you know? It was I was not expect- my number one. But, I don't know, I mean... was it? Your, will- it's, it's like your absolute last one, isn't it? I guess, but I don't really know. Like, that's the trouble with ranking these things, is that... Yeah, you don't even I, seem to hate it that much or anything. It's just I, kinda- yeah, I mean... I would just rank him as far as like, if I had to choose which of these I would watch right now, which would I watch? And I was like, at the end of the day, Eternals is not one I want to revisit, but it is one I do find to be very curious. I mean, I am, for better or for worse, I do find the phase four, a phase four of the MCU to be sort of fascinating and how it is taking more swings. It's doing things that 
I would prefer it had done earlier, which is like making more filmmaker driven films, you know, certainly Doctor Strange, even though it is kind of a hodgepodge of Raimi's influence and Kevin Feige's influence, there is quite a bit of Sam Raimi's style in there. And I think that's the big reason why it's my personal favorite of the MCU or the the new phase of films. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, Eternals just I just remember being really, really bored watching it. So I don't like I don't really have any desire to revisit. And I just found it to be a pretty big mess. But there is there is some charm to be had in, in how much of a blunder I found it to be. It's it's weird. Like I remember leaving the Eternals going, I don't know why people didn't like that. I really love that. I thought it took some swings and did really interesting things. But now as we're talking about it, I, for the life of me, can't really remember anything about it. I remember Demon Dogs. I know that was a thing. Oh, um, man. And that's about it. I remember like there was like that ending sequence. And I guess this is a spoiler for the post credit scene in Eternals. So if you don't want to know about that, skip ahead. But they have the whole Harry Styles thing and like the Star Fox intro and something like that a few years ago would have had me leaping out of my seat being like, wow, that's awesome. Like, what? that's such great casting. Oh, my God. What? And instead, I kind of felt nothing. And I felt nothing with like, you know, we have literally Kit Harrington, you know, coming in as Black Knight. And it, I don't know. I felt like I should have been excited. For some reason, I wasn't feeling excited. And I wanted to bring up you know, sort of a pre-plug because it's not out yet. But at the Young Folks, uh, our editor-in-chief, Allie Johnson, is working on a piece, uh, it should be out later today, about her kind of issues with Marvel like in general. And she kind of references, um, one of the positive things she references is how Eternals and Multiverse of Madness, like they seem to have like directors behind them with like a vision, like with something to really add, like a cinematography that kind of stands out a bit with Eternals. And, you know, also referencing how it just, it feels like some of these things are, like you both are saying, taking swings. But her thing was, she felt like there's like a lack of sincerity, I guess, was her take. Uh, And she was really feeling it with Thor Love and Thunder, um, even though, you know, I, I disagreed, I, I found her, her arguments kind of compelling. And so, uh, that, that'll, that'll be a nice little, uh, thing to share along, uh, if listeners, if, if anybody's curious about that, because I think critics are kind of coming down on this Thor movie, I guess we can lean into it and they're, they're a bit divisive. You know, if you, if you go on Twitter, you, you know, it, it really feels like people either really, it's, it's not love and thunder, it's love and hate. And I find it very fascinating because I don't think it's that a movie that is, uh, I don't I don't really see why people hate it so much, I guess. And I know, you had, Will, you have some theories about this. Well, for one, you had the pun hate and thunder there, but you went with love and hate, which I, yeah, I think hate. Is, Yeah, I yeah, guess. Well, because you, you did say it was divisive. So I guess that is fair. Yeah, yeah, um, it works. You can do your own pun and it's sure. it'll be just as great. But what was the sorry? What was the initial question that you had? Um, well, I, well, first I, I just want to, have you seen kind of this, this whole thing where it just seems like people really hate this thing. Oh yeah. And, and I think yeah. that's like, like Ali's point, I think was that a lot of it isn't really the movie. It's sort of like people are annoyed at like Marvel and Taika Waititi and they're taking yeah. it out on this movie. And she's like, it's not even she, to her. She's like, it's not even that I think it's like one of the worst of these movies by any stretch, but it's just sort of like a lightning rod, you know, not to bring <laughs> another pun into it. No, I, I do agree with that because I feel like this is sort of like a damn breaking moment for the DC or the MCU. I mean, uh, I just feel like, like you said, like, it feels like people are kind of just getting tired of the in-house Marvel style. People are getting tired of Taika Waititi's style. I mean, certainly Jojo Rabbit was also fairly divisive. 
Uh, a movie that well. I still contend is actually really good, and I I I find the hate for it kind of baffling to this day. But you know, I mean, you people are still talking about it, which is something. Wait, um, no such thing people as people don't press. like Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> I know, right? I I I don't know. I think Taika Waititi has got a really really unique like singular voice in the 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 MCU. To be honest, and maybe it's just because I've curated my feed because of in the wake of The Last Jedi, I've had to block so many like really bad faith trolls that I haven't seen any real like um, hate for Love and Thunder. The only thing I've seen for Love and Thunder that feels like valid criticisms have been coming from LGBT um, Q critics who are talking about really how it doesn't go far enough into actually validating um, that representation and that it wasn't, you know, queer enough for their tastes. And what's funny is like, I've seen those takes and I've, I've found them to be very nuanced. You know, I found them yeah. to be very much like, yeah, here's where the movie works. But you know, in these sort of respects, it kind of falls short. Like I haven't seen just like, man, this movie is like the worst of the worst or anything like that because of, you know, any lack of representation or that it doesn't go far enough with the representation it does have that at least that's what I've seen. But yeah, uh, we, we should talk about what we think of the movie, but, uh, Brian, did you have any other anything else you want to add to that well no i was just gonna say like like i think there's a strand of people who are i don't know twitter it's important to remember twitter is not uh the general public if you (laughs) You say so i'm starting to wonder though but yeah we should we should talk about what we think let's talk about thor love and thunder let's set this movie up we already mentioned, according to Will, and I think he's right, he usually is. It's the 29th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. This is the fourth Thor movie. So we got the first Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh. We got Alan Taylor's follow-up sequel in 2013, Thor The Dark World. Originally, it was supposed to be made by Patty Jenkins. Fell through because Patty Jenkins was basically trying to do something cool with it, and Marvel was a little bit like, well, we, we, we want Game of Thrones. Uh, we, we want something a little bit more fantasy, you know, fantastical we don't want this like romeo and juliet thing so they kicked patty jenkins out created this huge rift with natalie portman who would eventually just disappear from the mcu as a result until now and thor the dark world widely regarded as one of the weakest of the marvel films although i it, it's gotten a little bit of like a social media rehab some people being like yeah it wasn't that bad you know you guys are exaggerating but uh i i, I find it to be uh, okay and then after that we get the the big you know, Thor sort of refresh. It's like, let's rethink the Thor character. Age of Ultron came out and people are like, man, Thor is just, what, what's going on with this character that he has that whole sequence in Age of Ultron where he just like disappears for a minute. And it's like, okay. But then we get Thor Ragnarok, which is like a watershed moment for the character. It's taken, you know, World War Hulk and Planet Hulk and all this stuff. I guess more just Planet Hulk. And it's sort of like bringing Hulk and Thor together in a very cosmic adventure. It's resetting a lot of things. It's getting rid of the hammer. It's getting rid of Odin. It's getting rid of all these things so that we can make room for just kind of a new take on Thor. It's comedic. Taika Waititi directs. It's super successful uh, with a lot of people. People really like it. It's not the biggest moneymaker for you know these marvel movies at the time uh and now but clearly it it, it earned a lot of goodwill people were like we kind of like this sort of like you take a little bit of the gardens of the galaxy vibe you mix it with taika waititi's reverent humor boom you have a new take on thor that's really fun we get him again in infinity war and endgame and that's also kind of stretching that take on the character a little bit but with a more somber tone here and there uh and then of course all those gags but then we get thor love and thunder which is post endgame it's the fourth thor movie i can't believe there's a fourth Thor movie that that to me makes no sense, but you know, out of context, it doesn't make sense. 
But yeah, Thor Ragnarok was very successful. It's been five years. And here we are with Taika Waititi returning as director, co-writing the script with Jennifer Caden Robinson. We have Chris Hemsworth returning as Thor. We have a new villain, uh, Gore the God Butcher, um, from a very uh, very well-regarded uh, Thor comic book storyline we might get into. And then we also have Tessa Thompson returning. We have uh, Natalie Portman, as I mentioned before, coming back as Jane Foster, also adapting the Mighty Thor a very well, another well-regarded storyline. It's kind of taken Mighty Thor and Gore the God Butcher, these two very different comic, uh, I guess more recent comic things, kind of putting them together. What do we think, though, of this movie where Thor is kind of out to stop Gore the God Butcher from trying to eliminate all the gods while also reconnecting with Jane Foster, who has mysteriously inherited Mjolnir, a repaired Mjolnir, and now has the powers of Thor. Brian, want to start with you in terms of... Thor Love and Thunder, what worked for you about this movie, what didn't work, and everything in between. So one of the things that worked well for me, one of my favorite things in movies is villains, uh, are villains that really reflect the hero and have very similar aims to the hero. And Gore the God Butcher is very much that that Thor if you push him too much in the dark, right? It's that like Belloc and Indiana Jones kind of thing. But you don't quite realize that right off the bat, right? Um, but there's there's this thread between Gore and Jane Foster with their weapons that, that I really, really loved how they, they, they tie it together and intertwine those stories and kind of show you different sides of these coins. And so from like a structural standpoint and a storytelling standpoint, I really, really loved it. Um, watching it a second time, the things that I was curious about or feeling like they didn't quite work all worked the second time. But more than anything, I was really taken aback that not only they were able to adapt that Jason Aaron sort of Mighty Thor and Gore the God Butcher story, but that it, they just infused it with the the fun of like that classic run of Walt Simonson Thor. Um, you know, whether that's Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder, uh, or just the way the stories are told and how bold boldly they're told. Um, it's just really, really fun. And if I'm going to a superhero movie, I kind of want to have fun for the most part, especially Thor, who was always my favorite comic character. Um, you know, I don't think it, it made any mistakes bigger than, than the Dark World did, but it had a lot of action sequences much better than than the Dark World. But Dark World had that multi-planar fight with Mjolnir that was so cool um, that I don't think it gets enough credit for. But this this was, I, I think, on par with Ragnarok as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the only, my biggest complaint is a spoiler, so I won't get into it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we might have to then later do like a little bit, little tiny little spoiler things. I want to hear it. But yeah, I got to say, you mentioned the weapons in this. And this was one of the first, you know, movies I've seen in quite a while where I actually kind of was thinking to myself, man, I I want to play with these toys. You know, I want, I want to, I want a Mjolnir and a Stormbreaker. And I want to ha- pretend that they're like in a, you know, Starcross lover storyline. Um, that's kind of weird for me to admit right now. But anyway, Will Ashton, Will, 
you, I, I was listening, and you know this, I was re-listening to our conversation about Thor Ragnarok in 2017, mm. our oh, 38th boy. episode of Cinemaholics. And for the listeners who already forgot, it's been five years, I hope they you do. you and I had a fun conversation about that movie. I was I was very much like, I wasn't as high on Thor Ragnarok back then as I am now, because I remember re-watching Thor Ragnarok and being like, actually, this rules. I think I was a little bit more measured on it, like I really liked it, but I was a little bit like, ah, you know, there are a couple things. But mm-hmm. The more I've rewatched Thor Ragnarok, the more I've been like, you know what? This is one of my favorites. This is, this is top three. Like, this is just, I, I, it's so rewatchable. It's so funny. I, I really love the mood and energy of it. Didn't even mention Love and Thunder. Kind of takes the Led Zeppelin thing and translate it. And now we're doing Guns N' Roses. And it, it's mm-hmm. great. I, 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 I'm a, a sucker for any of that kind of motif stuff. Sure. But you you were a little bit lower on Thor Ragnarok. You weren't super low. You, you weren't just like a hater or anything. But you certainly weren't as enthusiastic about it. Uh, how, how, how do you view it now? Like it's been some time. Did you ever rewatch it? I did. I rewatched uh, all the previous Thor movies before this one. Because it's been a long time since I've okay. seen... Uh, the first two Thor films. Uh, I mean, I've only seen each of them once before this. So, uh, you know, at the time, I remember being really high on the first Thor. I think I even said so in that review. Yeah, um, yeah. I think a part of it was just nostalgia. Like, I just, I'm really nostalgic for that first phase of the MCU just because it was like when I was like in high school or getting out of high school, it just felt really fresh to me. Like, we're getting these big Marvel movies on the big screen again, or like, you know, in a big way. Um, and you know, like they had these like quirky styles to them, you know, like each of the filmmakers, I think incorporate something a little bit different, but there is still the promise of like, these are all going to be interconnected in this big cinematic event, which uh, accumulated with the uh, Avengers film, which now seems kind of quaint when we uh, look back on where they've gone since then. But yeah, I mean, I think that first movie, the first Thor movie, certainly a fairly wonky film, uh, upon revisiting it. But I still think there is some charm to it. I, I think some people dismiss the whole sort of facts, Shakespearean stuff that Brana brings to it. But I think that adds a sort of goofiness, I feel, is getting a little bit lost with the more recent Marvel movies. Like, I, I think Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness is starting to bring it back a little bit. But I feel like there's this aversion to being sort of like straight face and goofy with the Marvel lore and the, you know, the set dressing and stuff like that. And I, I like that that movie felt like not only like a film, but it felt like a little bit of uh, the type of superhero movies that I grew up with. So I did have some, you know, still some nostalgia for that. And I do think that uh, even though Jane Foster isn't the most well-developed character in the first film, I do think she has uh, Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth have like a pretty good amount of chemistry in that first film. And I think that carries a good bit of it as well, as well as, um, uh, Tom Hilson's performance as Loki. I think even from that first film, it was pretty clear why he's became such a fan standout. Uh, Dark World uh, didn't really like it much when I saw it the first time in college. Still just don't really like it much. If anything, I like it less now. Um, and I just think it just doesn't really work. But I think there are some shots, particularly in that first opening fight, that I think are a little bit more handsomely produced than I gave it credit. And I think, you know, like even like the like the Viking funeral scene in that film looks pretty nice. And like there's like a couple little small grace notes in that that I didn't really give it credit, I think, at the time. But yeah, I just don't think it really works. And with Ragnarok, 
I, I would say, you know, I, I, to your point, I think it is the best of the Thor films. But um, yeah, I mean, I think my problems I had with it at the time still stand. I, I think the second act is really where it flourishes. That's really where you can see Taika Waititi having fun. I think Jeff Goldblum is a standout of the film, but I think Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie is just a lot of fun. I think Quark in that first film or that third film, I mean, uh, is fun. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just don't really connect with like the first act at all. It just feels kind of like it's him just kind of going through the motions a bit. There's a couple of fun touches in there, but, you know, particularly with Anthony Hopkins actually getting to have fun and not just you know, giving leaden exposition as he did in the first two films. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a fun film. I don't fully get on board people saying it's the best or one of the best Marvel movies, but I can certainly see why they feel that way about it at least. Well, can I, can I say then, cause you mentioned the Sakaar stuff in Thor Ragnarok. And I think that that whole thing that you're talking about there, that's what I wanted from this omnipotent city stuff that we get in Thor love and thunder. And I think once we get to that, and we get to the zoo stuff, we get to Russell Crowe. I know they kind of, I think they cut some stuff out that might've included more, you know, I think Lena Hetty had maybe a few scenes. Jeff Goldblum was going to be in a few mm-hmm. things. I don't know if it was going to be in the location. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Dinklage mm-hmm. was going to come back or something. Um, and I think like maybe it was going to be like Gore the God Butcher doing more God the God, you know, more butchering um, for all we know. But I was hoping that Omnipotent City would be that like the new Sakaar for this movie, where we would go to this really fun location, lots of really exciting things would happen. We really only get like two scenes in this location. I found it to sort of be like, it's just kind of like Asgard. Like I didn't find it visually interesting. And I think this is where the movie kind of loses steam for me. What, what did you think about it, Brian? I think that's actually where it picked up for me thematically. Um, like, so it, yeah, it was a cool visual and it didn't have a lot of stuff happen in that excitement realm, but the movie has so much to say about what the duty of a God is and what the duty of a worshiper of a God is and tries to actually ask these questions about uncaring gods that people have in today's day and age through the lens of Thor. And I think Omnipotent City was exemplary in, in exploring how uh, how absurd the theory of gods are. I mean, maybe I'm coming fr- at that from, from my very passive-aggressive atheist perspective, but it has interesting things to say thematically that tie directly into Gore's story and ties Gore's story and his troubles to Thor's. So, what even though it wasn't like the most exciting thing, even though it was delightful to watch Russell Crowe, it fit so well thematically in the structure and the scheme of the story that it felt very, uh, it, it, it earned its place in my view. I definitely like the message. I totally agree with you there. Like, I think the whole idea of like Gore's motivation and like the, the villains sort of like trajectory through this, I, to- I totally was on board for. I thought that was a really f- great way to step it up since like, how do you follow Hela? Who's like this extremely like unstoppable character. How do you stop something? Like, how do you top Ragnarok in that sense? And I like this. It was like, let's, let's get a little creepy with it. Let's get a little edgy. Let's do a satanic panic kind of iconography to tell this story about, you know, taking the gods down a peg. Uh, I think in that respect, this movie picks up for me at least again when we kind of get away from like the Russell Crowe kind of being a Greek god I, I did appreciate the Greek uh sort of like you know affectation they put on it but when they go to that like n- evil like a uh, dark planet or whatever and you have that kind of 360 degree fight 
happening there. That was stuff that I was wanting. And it, it took a while to get there for me, but like those kind of action sequences were really like, okay, this is cool. Like, I like what I'm seeing. I'm This is thrilling. It's not just funny. It's not just like emotional stuff, like with what's happening with Jane, but it's also, you know, just a really good action movie in those scenes. But people have been complaining about, you know, and I, and I'm sorry to bring it back to the, you know, the discourse, but people are saying the VFX here, the, the special effects are not that great. And you know who agrees with them? Taika Waititi and Tessa Thompson, um, they they had that variety thing where they're actually like literally making fun of the special effects in their movie, and people are getting upset. They're like, you're you're criticizing your own you know people on this. And, you know, they they worked well, hard and pay them more, and uh, you know, there's a little yeah. bit of stuff going on there. Well, it's more just because there's been a lot more recently coming out that like because they're not really unionized, that Marvel's been leaning heavily on these VFX companies to like basically do a lot of their work for them they're giving them these extremely tight deadlines and mm-hmm. they're giving they're forcing them to do like three or four options because they're not really 100 percent sure what they want the backgrounds to be for certain shots i know that was the case with song chi and like the climax that's why that that last few minutes kind of look a little wonky but uh yeah i don't know it, it just felt kind of disrespectful to you know to kind of piss on their work considering that these stories are coming out i don't think that was their intent but it just it, it did sort of sour the mood a bit when these stories are coming out and you see the director of why these big films just kind of be like, you know, making fun of that, you know? Well, I think, I think Taika Waititi is going to be irreverent to everything. And, and, and you're right. I, I don't necessarily get the vibe that his intention was to, to take a crap on those um, technicians, but I don't know. Personally, I have a hard time listening to people go, I didn't like the effects. Um, you know, going back to, you know, as a a kid watching that, that from Star Wars to Jedi documentary and George Lucas pretty boldly proclaiming to my six-year-old self, a special effect is a tool, a means of telling a story, a special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. If I'm sufficiently invested in the story, I don't care what the, like, I'm cool with puppets. I love Harryhausen movies. Um, like I, as long as I'm invested in the story, like I can suspend a lot of disbelief for bad effects. So that never really, I mean, affects me the way I think it affects some other people. Um, you know, there was a lot of discourse around this about Luke in the second season of Mandalorian when he shows up to grab Grogu. And it's like, that was like, Luke was the only person who would make sense in the story. And I was riveted by that. I didn't care how glassy eyed he might've looked. Um, it was Luke again. You know what I mean? So, so some of the dodgy effects in Thor love and thunder didn't really matter to me because I got tooth Nasher and tooth grinder hauling an Asgardian boat across a traveling, uh, Bifrost. And that's something that like I've been dreaming about since I read those Walt Simonson comics as a kid, you know? So it works for me, right? Like the criticisms too, like before this have been like the tarmac scene in civil war. It's been like, there's no color. There's no, well, now they're doing all the color. The problem is that we have COVID. The problem is that we have, you know, all these restrictions and, and it costs so much more money to add all of that flavor. So yeah, you're, you're going to have a few like rough edges, but yeah, I agree with you completely, Brian. I think it's like, it's serving the story. It's not like bad effects in a movie like this don't exactly match the mood. <laughs> um, although that goes into another thing where, you know, I've, I've seen some people come out and say, well, yeah, there's too many jokes, you know, it's like, this is supposed to be an emotional moment. And then immediately you're just like, you know, trying to be emotional and, I also can't really get behind that because like, that's pretty common too, isn't it? Like, I, I feel like most comedies, most, you know, 
things we watch in general tend to be sort of, uh, you know, like you joke in this scene and then you have emotion and like, is, isn't that like what we get basically from like Pixar movies? And that's what we get from a lot of different things. Oh, and the other, I forgot I was going to mention too, um, uh, in terms of like not being sure, like with the VFX, and I don't know, Will, if you agree with this, but the whole idea where like if you have like a really concentrated vision, you know exactly what you want to do, you can get something like everything everywhere all at once, right? Where like you can have like this like really considered movie on a low budget, or you can have a movie like RRR, which similar to this one, it doesn't have the best effects in the world. But it doesn't matter because like the the scenes, the shots themselves are so inspired and so fun to watch that you can forgive a ton. So it, it is kind of interesting, like not to compare those two movies to Thor, Love and Thunder, because I think they're better. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where I landed. Um, Will, did you have anything you wanted you wanted to add about the story itself? I mean, I, I guess like you didn't really have a chance to get into like the Jane stuff, uh, the villain. Uh, what, what are your broad strokes? Oh, boy. Um, So I will say my expectations for this film because I guess my timeline is, I guess, a bit different than yours, was, were pretty low. Because I have heard almost unanimously bad things about the film going into it. Uh, it just seems like a lot of people I know in my timeline were not about this film much at all. They were really criticizing a lot of things we discussed, a few things we haven't discussed yet. Um, but, you know, I, I generally still like Taika Waititi. I, I am definitely of the opinion that I'm getting a little sick of him. Uh, John and I were having a conversation before. I don't know if it's more of a Lin-Manuel Miranda sort of thing or like a uh, sort of like Seth MacFarlane sort of deal where it's like, I don't know if he's just getting overexposed or if it's just a little bit of like he, he what he's doing now isn't really what appealed to me earlier in his career. Like certainly like I love uh, the movie What We Do in the Shadows. I think that's probably his best film to date. I really like Boy, his second film. Hunt for the Wilder People was really solid. I haven't watched any of the TV shows he's been involved in outside of Fly the Concords, but I mean, I love that show. I do think uh, you immensely. should watch um, Our Flag Means Death. Uh, it's it's very good. Okay, maybe someday. <laughs> There's just so much TV. I, I do want to watch the What We Do in the Shadows show. I've heard that's very yeah, good. Yeah, I'm going to get to that as well eventually. Yeah. And I do think, generally speaking, I prefer Taika Waititi's work when he's with Jermaine, Kerma- Jermaine Clement. Uh, Jermaine Clement. Like Sorry, Jermaine Clemens, geez. Uh, I, I just think they kind of bring out the best in each other. And um, I, I tend to prefer when they're collaborating as opposed to when Taika is kind of doing his own thing outside of, like I said, Hunt for the Wilder People and Boy. Um, but I will say, um, you know, with this movie, I, I still generally am charmed by Taika Waititi's style. I think it's it's something that, like, I think he is talented. I think he he has gotten to his position, you know, not just out of sheer luck. He has, you know, really uh, earned his way into this. But I just do think that of late, his work hasn't really been as endearing to me as it has been of late. And I think with this film, it, it just feels very apparent to me that he's trying to juggle a number of different moods and styles and tones Similar to what he did with uh, Thor Ragnarok, you know, like they have some kind of serious moments and they have a lot of lighthearted, goofy moments and a lot of action beats and a lot of dramatic moments, and, you know, a defined character arc for Thor. But with this film, it, it just doesn't feel like he really balances the tone as well, at least in my opinion. There's just these wild scenes that will just go from something sort of kind of flippant and silly like the Screaming Goats to Jane's stage four cancer diagnosis where her and uh, a previous character from another film are kind of like trying the joke about her dying of cancer. And for me, it just feels That's the message so of the movie, bizarre, though, isn't it? Is, isn't the whole idea of like, you know, we try to like laugh and overcome our 
trauma using humor and sure. sometimes it's healthy sometimes that's, it's not that's at the core of taika Waititi's style i'm not trying yeah, to dismiss yeah. that i'm just saying that I, I still don't think it really works in this film and that might be subjective that's you know that's maybe for everyone to decide for themselves but i just don't think it's not like a matter of like dark comedy not working or anything if anything my sense of humor is extremely dark <laughs> but um i just think it just you know it, it's not easy to do these type of things like you know you kind of have to you know have to do the work to make a, a scene like that really work and i feel like they just kind of hastily put that one together it just doesn't feel like it, it really fits the stone the, the style and move the tone of the film and we also have as we mentioned gore the god butcher who at times feels like he's in a totally different film because he's completely humorless but i will say that christian bale's performance is easily my favorite thing about this film i think the cold open with gore the god butcher quite oh, uh, oof, that's good that, that was the highlight of the film. And when I saw that, I was like, man, you know, even though people aren't really digging this movie, maybe I'm going to be the sole guy coming out of this being like, this is one of the better MCU movies. But then after that, it didn't really connect for me. But I, you know, I mean, I think he is fully committed to this and he makes it work almost in spite of itself at times. And I think all of his scenes, uh, his performance, I just thought was pretty outstanding. And even though it doesn't really gel with the rest of the film, I thought that kind of work to the film's benefit at times to, to really feel menacing yeah. and threatening even when everything else can seem kind of you know like i said flippant and even a little glib at times and I, I give a lot of credit to him and his performance for that and i think that does kind of ground the film in some uh, key ways but i don't think that's enough to really establish a, a clear sense of like a, a clear tone stakes or emotionality at least in my opinion we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree i, I think you know as a complete product, I think it, it basically works. And, and I think one of the things I give credit to this movie a lot is that it's a bit more standalone. It's a bit more like uninterested in all the other Marvel movies. It seems more interested in the Thor movies, which I really liked. I was like, it, it pays attention to things like if you rewatched the Thor movies that you would pick up on and it's not trying to bring up all these other things. It's not obsessed with Loki for once, which I know some people is not That's That's not a feature. But for me, it kind of was. I was like, great, let's not obsessed like just talk about loki the whole time or shoehorn tom hiddleston in let's just tell a new story and it, there was stuff like that that i appreciated and like they avoided some of the, like the really bad jokes like they could have easily when i saw the the sword you know i was like oh my gosh that's related to venom if they try to do a venom thing here i'm gonna get really annoyed <laughs> and like they don't do that they don't go for the low-hanging fruit which i really appreciated um is there anything else to add though you know brian you you like this movie i think the most i like this movie i i i had a last in the theater i mean uh seeing it twice though was there anything that you feel like uh we're missing you know we haven't really gotten into yet um you know the the thing that really jumped out at me on the second viewing was the thematic connections between um the the magic of the weapons the necrosword and mjolnir and um the magic between um or the desires of people to protect those around them in the face of absent gods um and how even the gods have the same the gods in this universe have the same desires as the mortals if that makes sense hammers um, don't kill people gods do yeah yeah <laughs> um so so there was a lot of thematic work there that that i really admired that that pops on the second viewing um I, i'm not sure like i guess Tonally, the movie felt very consistent to me. It felt very consistent to Taika Waititi's style. Um, I don't know. I, 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 so I guess I just don't understand um, the complaint 
that it wasn't tonally consistent. Like it was consistently funny. It was consistently emotional when it needed to be. And it was very much a roller coaster, which if it was all one thing, it would have felt monotonous. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I was going to say too, I don't even think it's like that. It's not that funny for me. Like, I don't find it as funny as Ragnarok, uh, but that central gri- uh, gag with, you know, Mjolnir versus Stormbreaker, the sort of like the X's and the timing of that. I actually thought that, that was what probably almost as probably funnier than anything that happened in Ragnarok for me. Like, I found that really hilarious. And I don't know if I'm just an easy mark for inanimate objects, you know, having personalities. I probably am. But um, no, like, I think there's stuff in here that's really, really good. Uh, it's just that, yeah, there were other things. Like, I, I I know people are split on this. Like, people, even people who really don't like this movie hate, like, really like the goats. And some people will just hate the goats, hate the movie, whatever. I didn't like the goats at all. Because um, I just found the whole... I can't do it. I can't. They were my favorite, uh, like, in the comics. Like, since I was, like... I don't know. I, maybe... I feel like I might be a little older than you two. And so, like, my high school experiences trying to see comic book movies were, like, Spawn. And... um you know, Batman and Robin. So it was just like, it was, I thought it was in the theater, but I was definitely kind of young. I, it was bad news for everybody. And reading those Thor comic books and seeing Thor take off in his chariot with tooth Nasher and tooth grinder thinking to myself and Thor was always my favorite comic. Those Walt Simonson, particularly the, the Walt Simonson run were so amazing. And thinking to myself, you know, it would be great one day to get this in a movie and we're never going to, and then Mm. actually see it, it was just so overwhelming to me. And I will admit that I'm bringing my baggage to that, but it was just so delightful to, to see and, and have them, I don't know, making them screaming goats was just chef's kiss. All right. I think we're due for like a, a geothermal shift or whatever the term is, something along those lines. We're a, a total, like a, a changing of the guard in terms of superhero comic book movies, because I think we've sort of swung back to the earnest sort of like sincere, but also like irreverent kind of humor that we got from like the mm-hmm. early two thousands and a bunch of those films. And, you know, which I've loved to see, like, I, I think that like, the original Spider-Man movies and everything, you know, Will and I have been chatting about, you know, the, the Spider-Man, you know, episodes that uh, like blank checks podcast has been talking about. And it, it's kind of interesting how then you get like right after Spider-Man three, you get dark Knight, you get Iron Man and you just get like a total like shift. You get like, we suddenly start getting MC movies. We suddenly start getting the Chris Nolan Batman movies. And or I guess we had already had Batman begins, but you get it. But like the idea to me is that, I, I just do not want us to go back to like everything has to be self-serious. Everything has to be, you know, Joker, you know, where we're trying to be king. We're trying to like be king of comedy. We're trying to win awards and stuff. I, I don't want to go back to that. I like this zone, even if it can be improved. Like I like I like the idea of screaming goats. I just didn't like the screams, if that makes sense. But I don't know. Will, do you agree with that? I mean, if it's a matter of whether we get Joker or Thor Love and Thunder, um, I mean, I guess I prefer Joker of the two, but I mean, that's not really, I think totally, I agree with what you're saying that like, I, I think I prefer if they could sort of balance something that was a little bit kind of campier and goofier 
with, you know, something that feels like it's earnest and heartfelt. And I felt like Taika Waititi is a filmmaker who has been able to do that in other films. But unfortunately, I just didn't really get that here. I think there are touches of that. Certainly, like uh, the scene where they are with Zeus, you see like all these like weird little gods from other uh, realms and dimensions. And you see like that little guy that's just like a little hairy gnome I wanted person more. with just feet. Yeah. And you see like little like kind of like, you know, because I think... Um, Terry Gilliam is a big influence on Taika Waititi and like that little stuff like that's like okay I want stuff like this like this is fun but I feel like those moments were really fleeting here and I wanted more of that and less of the kind of like barrage of CG sort of randomness that I just didn't feel very connected to emotionally it just I just felt fairly numb watching a lot of this because I just wasn't really personally connected to a lot of the story. I wasn't like mad or anything. I wasn't even that bored per se. I just didn't really feel much of a connection to anything because it just felt like a lot of the people involved didn't really feel super invested in this product. And I don't know that like, you know, for a fact, I don't know like how emotionally invested they were in this, but there is something compared to even Thor Ragnarok that just doesn't feel as cohesive and as emotionally invested. At least I from wonder- my perspective. I honestly wonder if part of that vibe you're picking up on um, is COVID production. That's been our like leading theory. Uh, it's, it's possible, sure. I just don't know. I mean, I but I feel like a movie like Doctor Strange is able to incorporate a lot more style and have more of the sincere sort of wackiness from Sam Raimi, and it has problems i'm not gonna say that movie's perfect or anything that's what i was but, about to say i was like i feel like it's the same kind of problems i'm having with both of these movies even though i, I, uh, I like both of them i'm not like hating on them i don't know i i think i i just found myself i guess more engaged with dr strange ultimately in a way that i felt more disconnected to thor love and thunder but i think there is a, a similar issue happening it could be COVID. i think that was an issue i had with uh no way home that other people didn't have i just felt like there was a lot of disconnect there sp- especially when it came to the cameos if i felt like they were filming them in like different times it didn't feel like a lot of the actors were in the same place at the same time recording those scenes together but I don't know. I mean, that could just be COVID. It could just be the way Marvel is shooting these things because different actors have different schedules and they need to kind of just figure that out to meet a production deadline. I don't exactly know. It, it just could just be that these things are too big now and they're just they're hard to, you know, properly manage in a thorough and kind of condensed way. And maybe could, that just be. Yeah, sorry. Good. Well, I was going to say, could your attachment more to Doctor Strange have to do with the fact that we got six hours of WandaVision beforehand to help build up all of that emotional? Oh, he content. didn't watch WandaVision. Yeah, I didn't, oh, watch, didn't WandaVision. watch WandaVision. No, I don't um, watch any of the Marvel maybe shows. Maybe that's part of it. You would have been sick of Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe I, don't that know. Would, I, I, I have heard people say that they liked Doctor Strange less because of WandaVision. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, I, I felt like not seeing WandaVision did not impede on my appreciation of Multiverse of Madness. I just don't get how you weren't confused about like the kids stuff and everything like that. But I got to explain it before. Okay. Yeah. It's all in the comics. That's it's stuff. I don't know. That was as soon as they introduced Wanda, I was just like, oh, I wonder if they're going to go into that House of M direction and give her the kids and everything. And, and she even referenced it in uh, in that interview. Right. I've seen that clip going around where yeah. like 2015, she was just like, oh, yeah, what if we did House of M and we did this and that? And it's just like, yep, yeah, they did it. Um, but yeah. OK. I, and, and to your earlier point, too, Will, it, it's tight movie. Love and Thunder compared to Ragnarok. It's shorter. It's like 10 minutes shorter. And it doesn't kind of like drag out a lot of the scenes that you're saying. And it's hard to say if that's for the best or for the worst. But 
Uh, this is also one of the most expensive Marvel movies ever made. Uh, reported budget is $250 million, but it's doing super well at the box office uh, so far. Now, it didn't have as big of an opening weekend as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I actually found surprising. I forgot that more so that Doctor Strange made as much as it did. Uh, but this one made $143 million domestic opening weekend, already uh, almost half of what Thor Ragnarok made domestically when it came out in November of 2017. So clearly, like Thor Ragnarok and the subsequent Avengers films definitely helped build Thor into more of like a blockbuster, like opening weekend titan for these movies. And I think that that's paying off here. We'll see, though, what audiences think. Is this going to have legs, you know? Um, but I think that's a good transition then to get into the Rotten Tomatoes game. We'll do that real quick and then we'll end with a spoiler. So, or we'll end with uh, Brian talking about uh, maybe a spoiler or two. But okay, so Rotten Tomatoes game. Rules are simple. You got to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score as of the day we're recording this. I'm literally refreshing the page I've had open for a while because it could change any second. Um, but okay, we have 327 reviews counted so far. Uh, one of them is mine. And I don't think it has any impacts. It's 327 at this point. So lots of people have weighed in. But we will start with Brian. Brian, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for Thor Love and Thunder? Wild guess. 83%. 83 is Brian's guess. Will, you said you might have been spoiled on this. So that's why I wanted I to start so. with Brian. But yeah, it's been gonna, changing a lot. So I'm glad. I was going to say, if you didn't start with Brian, I would have said start with Brian because I... I'm pretty sure I've heard what it is by now, unless it changed wildly in the next hour. So last I heard, it was at 68%. Okay. Well, it's not at 68% anymore. Okay. Uh, it's also not 83%. Now, I guess I'll just give it away because I don't know how to like do another guess there. I mean, Will, you are the closest. Big surprise. Okay. You saw it. Uh, do you think it's higher or lower at this point? Uh, I think it's lower. It is lower. It's 67%. Uh, I think the highest I saw it was 70, and then it went down to 69. Everybody said nice, and that was fun for everybody. And then it went down to 68. It's just been like dropping ever since. I don't know if it's going to drop that much more. Uh, but yeah, 67. This is one of the lowest. I, I, I guess, I don't know. Rotten Tomatoes has always been rough for me because I've never seen a value in that number. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. We don't, we don't do this because we think Rotten Tomatoes holds any sway. We just think it's fun. Okay. <laughs> and i also i enjoy just kind of seeing what our friends are saying um i mean i was kind of like val complex gave it a positive review um I, I didn't even know she had reviewed it i mean we never did like uh like metacritic do you want to guess i have that pulled up if you and brian want to guess that i'm gonna uh, say that's 48 oh okay uh brian do you have a guess um 65 Okay. Uh, I guess technically Brian's closer. It's at 57 right now. Ooh, we split the difference. Yeah, yeah, you're closer. All right. Um, I guess those yeah. numbers are always, they, they work better for me. I, like, there are so many movies I love that are in the 50% range, and it's not because like the movie was 50% bad and it was just awful. It was just like critics argued about it, you know, whether that's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, Darren Aronofsky seems to do that a lot. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to cinema score in a second. But um, well, what about audience score? Because we have 5,000 plus verified ratings. Uh, we didn't talk about it much, but this film does have LGBT representation. It like makes canon a few characters being um, LGBT, even though they were before, I think, or at least like the Tessa Thompson character we knew, but it wasn't like as explicit as it is in this movie. Right. Um, so I was wondering if there was going to be any sort of like you know, weird fake backlash to it. People trying to argue and be annoying. But um, so that maybe that impacts the audience score. I, I'm not going to give that away. But what do you think? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Will. What do you think the audience score is? 
I'm going to guess audiences are generally pretty high on these films. So I'm going to say 85%. Brian, what's your guess? Um, after all the stuff that's gone on with Star Wars and even most recently with Kenobi, I just uh, have no faith in those audience scores. So I'm going to say like 65. It's actually, it, Will, you were pretty close. Is is 81. They're a little higher on it. I was expecting like 65 or like around there because I figured people would try to like spam these things and you can't trust it. But I should have switched my guesses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's better to be on the pulse of audiences, uh, probably. Uh, okay. And then Cinema Score. Now, the folks in Vegas, uh, they saw this movie. Uh, Will, what do you think the Cinema Score is for this one? I'll give you a hint. It's not, it's speaking of Darren Aronofsky, it's not the same as Mother. It's not enough. Okay, I was going to say A minus. Okay, and Brian, what do you think the cinema score is? Uh, that would be my guess, too. Uh, you're both just so close. It's a B plus. I think it's a little oh, bit wow. lower. I, yeah, and I, pretty... I'm surprised. Yeah, I thought this is such a bit of a crowd pleaser. But yeah, I guess some people, you know, they, they actually... have slot machines to get to. Uh, that's pretty damning, actually, because I think a lot of the Marvel movies get A or A minuses. Yeah, yeah, vast majority of them, I want to say. Yeah, um, so that's not great. Last one we'll do before we wrap it up. Letterboxd average, 160,000 logs on Letterboxd. That's the highest we've seen on an opening weekend in quite a while, I want to say. Uh, I think the last one was a big. I think we saw something that was like over 200,000. But we have an average rating here from zero to five. Uh, Will, what do you think? Um, Tricky. Uh, my heart says 3.2. Okay, let's see if your heart's right. Brian, what do you think? 3.8. It, Will, you were only off by one. 3.3. Mm. Um, okay letterbox is being kind of harsh i would yeah, ex- I, don't know. I would have expected maybe not 3.8 but like i don't know closer to that uh, uh but you know uh, i'm also I mean, seeing some people on here that i wouldn't expect positive ratings from so yeah that. i don't know i mean i can only speak for myself uh but it just seems like my timeline is not really digging this i, I have seen some people really go the bat for it like my letterbox seems pretty split but i am definitely seeing some negative responses, even from people who tend to like Marvel movies. They're just like, this one mm. didn't really do it for me. I mostly see threes, you know, like, uh, and I see like Charlie gave it three. Kimber Myers gave it three friends of the show. I'm seeing, you know, Allie, she gave it two and a half, which is about what I expected. And yeah, you know, uh, uh, Matt Donato gave it four, you know, yep. so every once in a while you, you get, you get, and, and look there, there's Brian Young at four and a half. Um, so I, I think some people are being kinder to it or are going to be kinder to it as time goes on. That's my guess. I feel like it's going to be like Jojo Rabbit, though, where people are going to like dig in their heels for the heck of it. I think I think there's going to be a lot of discourse once people start s- sort of pulling that spoiler barrier down, talking about the I mean, the the ultimate revelation of the title, but also the intertwining nature and the similarities um, structurally between Gore and Jane and Gore and Thor. And I think there's a lot more to dig into. And as people watch it more and analyze it more, they're going to find more they really like about it. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, that's my guess as well. But let's finish this out. Brian, you had something you want to bring up, but we had to wait. We're going to do a little bit of a spoiler thing here. So if you haven't seen the movie at all, and you don't want to know anything, you know, then you can just go ahead and we'll see you next time. Um, but Brian Young. What, what is this spoiler thing that you wanted to bring up? It just left it, it, it left a little bit of a, a, a bad taste in my mouth where I felt like I, I feel like they could have handled the end of Jane as the mighty Thor a little differently and maybe not, um, you know, written her out completely. Do you think that, that they're going to bring her back with the Valhalla stuff? 
no, I think that Valhalla stuff was actually a closed door. Unless they end up, I mean, like, actually, this is something that could happen. But in Secret Invasion, one of the coolest things in Secret Invasion was um, uh, basically Hercules gets in a boat and he's just like, come on, we're going to go kill the scroll gods. And they fly off to the, 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 you know, heavens of the scrolls gods to go try to fight them because it's like, we're going to fight the scrolls every way we can. Um, and Valhalla could figure into that if they do in the secret invasion, maybe the scroll gods come and start killing Valhalla. I don't know, but, um, see, I had a different, Maybe the opposite of that, where I thought, like, what if they try to do a thing where, like, they try to have another portals moment where all of a sudden you have all the Valhalla gods come in briefly, like a wild hunt sort of thing. So, like, their spirits come in. So you get to see Mighty Thor. You get to see Loki, like canon Loki. And you get to see Heimdall just kind of come in. Odin, you know, they could they could do something like that, right? I don't know if that matches any comic storylines, but I think. I mean, they could definitely. I mean, I was kind of surprised that in Ragnarok, they didn't just recast everybody. To be mm. honest, because that's sort of the way the mythology goes and the way Walt Simonson's mythology was really built when they did the Surtur Saga and Ragnarok where, but I mean, they haven't really introduced Baldur the Brave either. So maybe if we get a Baldur the Brave story. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't had Wrecking Crew. Yeah. There's so um, much left. Yeah, like if we get some Baldur the Brave and they actually kill him and actually invoke a real Ragnarok where everyone actually does sort of reincarnate in a different form um and we can get odin back and with a different actor and we can get thor back with a different actor yeah let's get like a young odin right like we don't have yeah. to recast Anth- or yeah we could recast well, anthony hopkins that actually leads into a question i was going to ask uh, especially when i hear brian's opinion on this is that like how long do you think they're going to keep thor going at, at least the chris hemsworth version of thor because he's like the last of the main avenger actors to really well, stick with it with the exception I was getting there with the exception <laughs> of Mark Ruffalo, who's been more of a supporting player throughout most of these. Like, I mean, even when they had a Hulk, uh, a Hulk movie, it was uh, Edward Norton. So, I mean, for him, he's, he's the, the only real actor who can kind of like do like, hey, I'll do like a Marvel movie here and there. And then I'll just kind of do like these, you know, prestige dramas or different projects. So it seems to really work out for him. But, you know, Chris Hemsworth's usually always like one of the leads or the lead of these films. And he, he's been doing this longer than any of the main Avenger actors. So... Do you think he's going to be just kind of doing like, you know, is this going to be like a new trilogy, like five and six? Or do you think he's going to do like one more and wrap it up? I was kind of thinking this would be the last one for him, but the ending suggests otherwise. You know, I don't know. Like, I think that's a really good question. Like, how long can he maintain that physique? Right. Like, just (laughs) just off the top. Yeah, right. Um, It can't be healthy for him at this point. No, probably not. But like, I want to say I I saw an interview with him where he thought he wasn't even coming back for this one. And that it was just like the story really drew him and he wanted to come back for it. And I think I think all of them, to be honest, if there was the right story for them to figure out how or why to come back, they probably would, with maybe the exception of Chris Evans, who just kind of seems over it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he tweeted earlier, right? He was like, no, Sam Wilson is Captain America. Leave me alone. You think it's more unlikely that Chris Evans would come back over Robert Downey Jr. though, of like the well, main. I think. Well, I think the thing is, is that at least with Chris Evans, there's there's a whole timeline of stories that we could probably get with him, or some way for him right. to come back. Right. With with Tony, it's it, it's pretty clear what happened. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, it's not possible though with the multiverse. But I just feel like it would be more likely with Chris Evans than with Robert Downey Jr. at this point, who seems just totally done with the mcu but i mean theoretically could bring any of these people back with yeah the, no i mean the with, with a large enough dump truck of money 
um, right. any of them. Oh, well, true, that, yeah, as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. And I think, like, it, it, this is the last thing I, I want to mention about all the Marvel stuff, and we can begin at it here, I guess, but I think if Marvel's going to have, like, the staying power it used to with a lot of people, not just, you know, a very devoted fan base, they, they got to start creating gaps. They got to start making us yearn, you know, and miss these characters uh, because that is a thing with Thor. We're going to get sick of it. And maybe he's got like one in the tank left. The guy's 38. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, that is. But I, I think that like they, they've been smart to kind of add a little bit of time in between these things. I, I think we need I think we need a little bit of a break. And, you know, we're still getting, you know, new characters, new shows. They can still keep doing that stuff. But even in general, I think like there's so much Marvel stuff that happens this year. It feels less special a movie like this or like a Marvel thing happening now because it just feels like we're always getting something in the Marvel universe. The barrier to entry is becoming like it was with the comics where you can't just sort of like pick this stuff up. You got to devote like a, a chunk of your life to trying to catch up on everything. If you're a complete completionist and it's unclear what you have to complete versus what you don't have to. So I, I think that that's, that's kind of going to be the big pain point for Marvel. They're, they're already years ahead of me on this. Like they were talking about this years and years ago. So it's not like they aren't aware but I, yeah. I do think that's going to be a challenge moving forward. Yeah. And then I do kind of wonder about that, too, because like didn't Kevin Feige recently have like some sort of like conference or meeting where he's planning out the next like 10 years of the MCU or something like that? Like they're still planning ahead. But I do kind of wonder about that as well. Like, is the public really that interested in like 10 more years of connected stuff like this? Or do they want something that's a little bit more varied, maybe a little bit more filmmaker driven? I don't really know. I'm kind of wondering what is the step forward for uh, Marvel going into phase five, but I guess we'll have to see with time. Yeah. Oh, all right. On that note, then we will see you all for phase, you know, 281, I guess. That's how many episodes <laughs> of the show we've done. Is that um, how many we've done? We're wow. at 281. We're almost um, at 300. What? Yeah, we're, we're almost, almost at 300. 300. I yeah, thought yeah. you said when was 300. I was like, well, no, no, hold no, on, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, we're Get getting there, though. <laughs> we're it's getting to come up this year. Yeah. I mean, technically, with all the bonuses and everything else we've done, sure. we, we really we swell over 500, you know, things. Oh, wow. But, uh, what a time to be yeah, alive. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in our fifth year. We're going to hit six years in a, in a oh, matter man. of a half a year. So, you know, what are you going to... Oh, man. We're going to get replaced <laughs> soon with the younger Cinemaholics. That's right. We're going to get recast. Cinemaholics reboot. Yeah, I'm closer to 38 than I was yesterday. That's for sure. Um, okay. Oh, boy. We'll see you all next time. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking in all things Marvel with us. It was a true pleasure for us, and I hope it was for you, too. Oh, it absolutely was. Thanks for having me on, and maybe I'll maybe I'll be back sometime. We'll have to invite you back. And, of course, listeners, uh, we're linking to Brian's Twitter and everything else in the show notes. So definitely find Brian and all of their work if you haven't already.